This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis.
Hello. Hi, welcome back. I hope you had a good week and that you can settle back now for the next two hours and keep me company as we have a very special episode of Straight Ahead to bring you. Last week, I sat down with the legendary drummer Steve Veroni, who has worked with the likes of Average White Band, who we just heard, of course, and uh, George Benson, Al Jarreau, Shaka Khan, Michael Jackson, Prince, you name it. Pretty much Steve has worked with them. And we're going to be talking about his amazing and illustrious career through the course of the next couple of hours. So settle back and enjoy the music with me. Obviously, we started off with something from Average White Band, an album that uh, Steve was working on. Let's go around again. One of the most famous songs from Average White Band. We're going to carry on now with another track that Steve worked on along with George Benson. This is Feel Like Making Love. Feel 
track we just listened to feel like making love was the first track on the album in your eyes from 1983 uh, steve was the drummer on the whole album the horn lines were arranged by randy brecker and it was produced by somebody uh, that steve has worked very closely with and we're going to hear steve talk about him. arif martin was the producer of that album for george benson so with so much to get through with steve let's get straight into the first part of the interview here is legend steve ferroni so it is time that we bring on to straight ahead this week i can't really believe i'm saying this steve steve how are you doing very, very well. Thank you very much. Been a, a time in coming, but finally we're together. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, with you, it's kind of like where to start with. Let, let, let's start right back at the beginning. A Brighton-born lad, weren't you? That's right. Born and, and bred in Brighton. And, uh, well, I, I think I was bred in Liverpool, but I was born in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell it's going to be one of those interviews. <laughs> And uh, your kind of introduction to music, I've obviously been doing some reading and research on you, and I think we can sort of link it back oddly to tap dance, can't we, where you got kind of syncopation down, and uh, yeah. that's where you found that you had this thing for rhythm and music. So what was, all, what was the background to that then? Well, you know, when I was a baby, I'd sit in my high chair and I had my spoon, and, I would, and, and you know, this was back in the dark ages before, before uh, t- we didn't have TV, you know, and we had a radio. The big old radio used to sit on the sideboard, and we'd all sit around and listen to the radio. And they'd put me in my high chair, and then some music would come on, and I'd take my spoon, and I'd bang the spoon on the on the high chair. And uh, and uh, and my 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 grandmother and my mother said he's banging that in time with that music. Oh, so, really? So you actually had some rhythm. Even as a baby, you were you were yeah. banging in time. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, well, we have to do something with that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so as soon as I could walk, basically around three, they sent me to tap dancing school, and uh, and uh, that was where I, um, I, uh, I didn't just learn about syncopation in there. I actually learned about songs. You know, I mean, I tap danced to standards. So did you begin dancing at a very young age, in like three, four? Yeah, three. Yes. Was, uh, wow. Exactly, yes. I mean, can't you used to spend your Saturday mornings down in uh, like a uh, some place in Brighton, didn't you, with the other kids doing musical theatre almost, wasn't it? Well, no, it was uh, uh, the Saturday. The Saturday morning thing was like they they there was a, a ballroom called the Regent Ballroom, mm-hmm. you know? and uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, they had a thing on Saturday mornings that was people could come there and drop drop their kids off, and um, and uh, and they would. Uh, it was sort of you know a disco, well, not a disco, they're a disc jockey, right. And 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 we dance, you know, we'd all do the, the twist and stuff. Back then, it was the twist. I think was a, so we'd all do our dances and 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 we, they, you know, they had, they had this this jockey that would, you know, play music for us and we dance to music and and act like little adults. It was like a little. Uh, so is the, the the performing bug beginning to bite you at that point? Did you kind of enjoy the the bits? Well, I, I was I was in the tap dancing uh, world in. Mm. in Brighton, I was, I was, I was, I was very, very talented at that. I was, I was, I, they had a thing called the Brighton Festival. I don't know if you ever, they still have it, I believe. Right. 
which which involves all kinds of stuff like bagpipe playing, folk dancing, tap dancing, ballet, pian- piano playing, and 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 uh, and I, I was <clears throat> always put into the into the dance uh, uh, competition uh, and uh, tap and and modern modern dancing. They're called modern dancing. And at some point, didn't you uh, cross paths oh, with with Mr. Win. Max? <laughs> well, of course, yeah. I think a winner's kind of your middle name, isn't it? It's a DNA. It's running through yeah. you. But uh, at some point, didn't you cross paths with a certain Mr. Max Bygrave as well? I can't believe you could bring Max Bygrave, Max's name up on, on straight ahead, but there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to talk to somebody who actually knows who Max Bygrave is. Sadly, I'm of that age. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, what happened uh, was, you know, the, uh, the age that you could actually go and perform on stage legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, was 12, 12 years old and uh, I hit 12 years old and, and there was an audition for a summer show that they had that we ran, I think we ran about six weeks through the summer uh, for, uh, for, for a kids chorus to be in that, uh, uh, in, that, in that summer show. Now we could only work until a certain time in the evening. I think it was maybe uh, 10 o'clock in the evening. So mm-hmm. What we did, we do the whole of the first show. We do little things where the, all these kids were brought on, uh, and uh, and then and then we'd work like uh, up until ten o'clock, and then we'd all have to leave and go go home. And then they finished the, the, the I guess they had a diff, bit of a different show, the second half of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I got I got featured in that show. He did. He did. Uh, he did because uh, he was a bit of a hoof as well, wasn't he? He danced a bit, I think. Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. He was an entertainer, yeah, exactly. All round entertainer, the Des O'Connor, uh, Bruce Forsyth kind of mold, yeah. And he did something, he did something with me that basically you probably wouldn't be able to do now <laughs> <laughs> because at the time was at the time was quite a novelty because uh, I was I was the only black kid for miles away. I think he had to get to London before he saw another black face. I didn't really grow up with any black kids or anything, but. He decided, you know, because he had this black kid in the in the kids' chorus, a twelve-year-old, that he was going to throw in this song called "Me and My Shadow," right? And 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 he was singing the song, and he had put on the t- the top hat, you know, he put on the top hat and had the cane, and he and me and my shadow, and he walked to, walking down the avenue, and he walked across the stage, and then he turned around and he start to come back the other side, and I'd walk out behind him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was I was his shadow. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he actually, he actually oh the seventies, eh? Yeah, it was it was sixties. Sorry, it was seventies. Sixties, yeah, the uh, sixty sixty two. Uh, and and, and man, you aging well. <laughs> yeah, it, it went. Uh, yeah, be seventy one in I'll be seventy one in, in a couple of weeks. No so. way, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so um, Max uh, uh, decided that you know there was Sunday night at the London Palladium, which was like a huge big yes, deal. Yes, yeah, it was massive back in back in the day then. Yeah, he took it and he did it. On, we did it on Sunday night at the London Palladium. So you'd be so, on the Palladium as well with Max. Yeah, yeah, I was on wow. the roundabout at the end of the Palladium. <laughs> at the end. So what's growing up in Brighton like then? I mean, say there wasn't many black families, it wasn't a particularly multi-ethnic any. society. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> any. So, me. so what? I mean, did you encounter any kind of racism? Was that a silly question, or was it an okay uh, bringing up? Or well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did. Um, um, no, I mean, I didn't. I didn't really know. I mean, look, uh, racism is something that's learned. It's not something that, that's, that's, that's a, a natural phenomenon. It's something mm-hmm. that's taught and something that's learned, and it's a belief system. 
and uh, and and I, I, I it never came up. I was just a little kid. Another I mean, kid, yeah. Uh, another kid. I got, um, my my girlfriend has a photograph that that she's uh, that amazes her. This is like a sea of little. They had this Punch and Judy show that came that came to the, to the school. And there's this sea of white kids and me sitting there in the middle, <laughs> and, and we're all sitting there watching the Punch and Judy show, and it was like, and it was like, it was something that in in, in America, I mean, was, see, see, that, normally when you get that photos, just wouldn't like, happen. <laughs> normally when you get photos like that with a girlfriend, it's kind of like, can you spot me in the in, when I was young? Can you spot me? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Not really no, so I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it was it's really impressive, you know. But uh, I remember that I remember vividly the first time I that I came I, I came across uh, uh, racism and there was a there was a gentleman that lived uh, um, you know my I lived on a street mm-hmm. you know, a working class street and then mm-hmm. there was this back alley and there was some garages in this back alley garages I was going to say the first uh, twang of LA coming at you there yeah <laughs> the, the garages <laughs> and and then there was this driveway that went up to this really nice little cottage because in the front of that it, and then it backed onto a really nice crescent one of those Victorian crescents and uh, yeah Hannah, I, I can picture them well yeah they brought yeah. reasonably well and it's beautiful it still is beautiful it's still there it's just beautiful beautiful mm. properties and big high ceilings in these houses and everything just gorgeous houses and but, uh, uh, you know, so, but we used to play in this alleyway and there used to be a wall that had fallen down, but we used to play up there and there were some trees and we'd play cowboys and Indians and stuff up there. And then we were up there, I was up there with a couple of friends of mine because I had an armory. I had all these guns and we had, uh, boom, boom, so you don't take your shots. And uh, I'm wounded. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hit, but I'm not dead. You know, all the stuff that the kids do. Uh, I remember that. And and uh, and there was conquer trees up there, and we get the conquers, and we make conquers and play conquers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. All the normal stuff that the kids did, and and and, and, and ne- nobody ever said, you know, you're a different color. And I never thought, I never thought that I was a different color. I mean, uh, uh, well, that's a whole nother. How I found that out was a whole different. That was a, that's another story. But but you know, I mean. So anyway, this is there was a guy that was a Harley Street surgeon retired that lived in this cottage up the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we were up there and we were like running around. We got a bit too close to his cottage, you know, playing cowboys and Indians up there in the trees and stuff. And uh, this guy came out and he had a sword stick, and he pulled out his sword stick. He's like, "Get out of here, bloody kids!" And, and you know, get out of here. Go play up the other end there. Go play. And he looked at me and he said, "You too, you black." Mm. And I I did, I had I'd never heard that word before. I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. but it had the juice on it mm-hmm. so you knew it meant something yeah it meant something and i felt it and mm-hmm. I, and and it, and it moved me to tears mm-hmm. and i ran back home and mm-hmm. i ran into my house mm-hmm. and i told uh, and my grandmother my grandmother what's the matter Steve? and i said man up the street he called me a black b-. and, and, and i had no idea what it meant and my mm-hmm. grandmother my <laughs> just when I got my when I got my grandfather and said, you know, gave gave her the, you know, the, you know, women do yeah. defend our honor. Absolutely, I know it. <laughs> and my grandfather rolled up his sleeves, went up the street, come up with me. He went up the street and he went and he knocked on the door, and the guy opened the door and he grabbed him and put him up against the wall and said, "Don't you ever talk to my grandson like that again?" Mm-hmm. That's where he used to take care of things in like, like those days. Yeah, can't do that nowadays. People have lawyers. <laughs> 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 uh, so, um, but it. 
it was it was settled that was it but I, and 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 then the next instance was one day i was i was walking to school and they were digging up uh uh digging up the whole of uh, ha- uh southover street they, they 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 were doing they were doing the changeover from ac to dc or dc to ac i don't know and uh, there was a, a, a they dug a trench and i was walking to school and i and as i crossed the trench there was this an Irishman was down there, a labourer was down there digging this in this hole, and and he popped up out of the hole, hole, and he looked at me and he said, "Why don't you get back to where you came from?" Oh, that and I, just, oh. and I and I just said to him, "Well, I was born there." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're an innocent um, kid again. I mean, just telling the truth. Yeah. yeah. So but my mother, but my mother, my mother was a very wise person. Uh, you know, she was a factory worker. She was very wise, and I guess that she'd been through a lot of stuff. In having me, in mm-hmm. and, and and she didn't have a husband. wasn't a husband in, in the picture. Mm-hmm. So it was bad enough when I was growing up. If somebody somebody got pregnant and they weren't married, it was, oh, it was a big deal, you know. But uh, you know, pregnant having a baby, black baby like me, was uh, would 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 have been a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, strong, strong, strong woman. But my mother, my mother taught me that uh, um, uh, uh, a way to look at look at racism, which was which was. Um, you know, when somebody says or does or, or, or acts out on something like that, that they're to be pitied. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, and uh, I don't want to be pitied by anybody. That's just pretty fuck, pretty harsh, you know. Pretty, pretty yeah. Harsh. She's obviously <laughs> teaching you to pity them for their shortcomings, their naivety, their lack of intelligence. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. So I mean, apart from those moments growing up in Brighton, I take it was good as a kid. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we know that you were a youngster and dancing on stage and so on. So sort of if we go from that, that sort of 10 up to sort of 20s gap, what were you doing? Were, were you musical by that stage? I mean, I know that I think you heard Take Five, didn't you? That was the first sort of inspiration that, well, musically, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. The, I mean, when I, uh, the first thing I we were up on the stage during the summer summer show and I, and we had this thing because the twist, you know, was the, mm-hmm. was the fact. And we did this thing where all the kids would twist, and Max Bygrace would do the twist with us. And, and I looked down into the orchestra pit, and I saw, I saw the, I saw the, um, I saw, I saw the, the drummer, and he was, he was. Sorry, I'll do it up here so you can see. <laughs> we basically got for only drum, drumming on the show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I saw that, and I thought, wow, he's actually doing that with his hands. And I'd watch him every night. I go, yeah. And I went out and I'd take a knife and fork and I tried to do it and get the motor. And I finally got those motor skills going. Then I'd look to see, listen to the bass drum, see what the bass drum and start doing the bass drum. So finally, I could, I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. I could do that. And then, and then, and then, take five came out. Right. And I heard take five. And I went, wow. So that got your attention. So you still don't, hadn't actually touched a drum kit in earnest at this point. You just no. kind of looked at the orchestra. You liked what he was doing. Yeah. Began to work out. We know you got this inbuilt, innate rhythm, and then you just began working in your head what all this was about. Yeah. So, so when did you yeah. go and find a drum kit? Then, well, what happened was I was up at this Regent Ballroom dancing, dancing with my friends. We got there dancing, and you know, you dance with the girls and everything. They say thank you, and they just leave, and that was it. You know, and, and at least we, you got we, to dance. <laughs> yeah, we got that, that <laughs> was more than I ever had. <laughs> you know? And and and, uh, and we sort of run around. Uh, you know, a little twelve-year-old testosterone that started going yeah, yeah. with twelve-year-old boys. You know. And, and 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 uh, and uh, Manfred Mann's Earth Band came to they were came they were playing that night in the region for the you know and uh, and I guess they came and they set up early 
and they did a sound check and 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 uh, well what i know now was a sound check and and us little kids were in there so they just did the sound check and they played a few songs for us little kids you know and uh and every girl in the place just went bananas over these guys it was they're all screaming and everything. And I'm standing there and I look at my friend and go, oh, we need a band. We need to do so this, yeah. Screw, screw <laughs> this dancing stuff. We're going <laughs> to... Let's, let's start playing some music. So, you know, we, we put together... There was a one guy that we knew that had a real guitar. And he, he stayed under, under, under a gas station. So I guess, you know, they were, might, they were rich as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. You know? And he, he he bought his kid a real guitar, a little electric guitar, and he and he jerry rigged an old record player so that he could plug the guitar into have an amp. So we had that. He'd show up with that, and and another guy had a, we had a tea chest with oh, the old tea chest. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And, and I had like a little toy drum kit from Woolworths, and we and we go and play. I saw us standing there by the Beatles. That was, that was the only <laughs> song that we do. <laughs> I, I love the musical integrity that drove you to wanting to be a musician. It was basically just testosterone and girls. That's pretty much Dicks. what you're telling me. Dicks. No, no artistic, <laughs> nothing artistic about it at all whatsoever. <laughs> so I, I know that at 21, you, you left to go to France. Up Before that point, had you started to there, play? No, well, that was I left Italy to go to France. I, went, I, left, I actually left home around 17 and went to Italy. Okay, so when you left home then to go to Italy, was that because was that still now beginning to follow the quest of being a musician? Well, I, I, yes. I mean, I, I, I used to get New Musical Express and and look at ads in the in the New Musical Express, and and I was I was working. I worked as a, a, a I worked in, a, in a, as an engraver. The first real job I ever had was left school. And uh, went car wash, and then and then I then I went and worked on a building site as a as a storekeeper on a building site, uh, and then I started working for a paint sprayer, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I guess I guess kind of apprenticeship, and the, and the, and the, his name the guy's name was Laurie Sadler. He was a, he, was a uh, he used to be in in the uh, um, uh, what do they call that the special forces in the in the, in the SAS mm-hmm. in the war. He used to tell me like great war stories and stuff, and he was a great guy. and And I used to look in the music, music, new musical express, and and, and playing with the local band. I played with the local band. I was sort of on and off with local bands, and 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 then I I I, I, I applied to there was somebody looking for a drummer in London, and uh, and I answered, and they 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 got they got back in touch. They got I called them up, and then we got back in touch with each other. And that was I mean we didn't have a telephone. It was in the old coin box, you know. When you had the, I remember it. The the, the the back button and the B button, A button and the B button. You know the old. I can picture old, and smell them very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and I got in touch with these uh, these people, and and then I went up to London and and started playing with some bands up there, and started playing around up there, and, and this band was going to Italy for uh, for a week to mm-hmm. play in a club in 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 Italy for a week, and and I went with them. And uh, we started off in this van, and we drove over. We got into Belgium, and there was a big snowstorm, and uh, and we crashed the van into the back of a truck and split the engine block. And then the, the you know the the, the band thing about there's always there was always a, there was always that the band somebody in the band who never saw the you know the downside of thing we did. We just forged forward and got everything, all the equipment onto a train, and we went to Italy on the train, and uh, we get down to Rome. 
and it was 60 degrees. It was, and, and uh, that was like unheard of. Yeah. You know, yeah. 60, 60 degrees was summer. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have the heat waves that we have nowadays. But uh, uh, I was sunbathing down there and I loved it. It was, you know, in, in, in January, February, so, January, February. So obviously you kind of thought, right, this is the life of me. I've hit my stripes. We're playing music. It, yeah. We're in a band. We're yeah. in lovely temperatures. That's it. Playing in this club and there's all these Italian girls, beautiful Italian girls. Noticing a theme here. Noticing a theme, Steve. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and they, uh, um, uh, uh, there was a guy named Ronnie Jones who's a, a, an American artist that, that, that lived, lived in Rome. Still, he lives in Milan. Still, still he's 84 years old now. He's just 84. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, and and Ronnie said, "Listen, uh, I got a band, and I want you. You want to stay down here in Italy and work with me?" And uh, and uh, and he offered me 40, 40 pounds a week, which is like a fortune for me. So broadly speaking, that was kind of you never went back. Really, that was your, your start of your life as a musician on the road, traveling. That was it. Kind of it done. Well, yeah, just messing. Around. I mean, I I, I kind of I was having fun. I mean, I was still I was learning about music. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed playing music. I enjoyed hanging out with the musicians. I enjoyed enjoyed all the girls and stuff and all the the drinking and stuff that we used to do and uh, and, uh, and 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 the camaraderie of being a musician. Uh, but when I was twenty one, I was coming up my twenty first birthday, and I was like, well, look, you know, I, I knew what it would take to be a professional musician because I was working with this French band. And they they, they they were all schooled, so they all read, read, read some music, read music.
And we just listened to a track from the Al Jarreau album, L is for Lover. And when I bought that all those years ago, little did I think I'd be sitting down and interviewing the man for a radio show. But there you go, the way life works out. A golden girl. And uh, on the uh, guitar duties and producing that album, indeed, was Niall Rogers. He's really worked with all of the best in the industry. And there's no way that in these two short hours, I'm going to be able to fit in all of the artists that he's worked with. So I'm just going to pick out some of the highlights and some of my personal favourites. And uh, next to play on the show, we have got a track from the album by Anita Baker, the composition set. And uh, the lineup on the album is just outstanding. Once again, on bass on this particular track, Fairy Tales, that we're about to listen to. Nathan East is on the bass. You've got uh, Vernon Falls on keys, Paulina DeCosta on percussion, Greg Fillingaines is on the piano. Let's go and listen to Anita Baker along with Steve Ferroni. And this is Fairy Tales. If you want to know what's happening at the six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk. Oh 
I was just going to say, at that point, you still weren't reading, were you? No. No, I, I had no, no I, I'd, mem- I'd, me- I'd have to memorise songs. And, mm. you know, and, uh, but they knew all about this stuff, about reading music and everything. And, and, and they, they, we were playing around in Italy. And then they said, well, listen, we've been offered, offered a, a, a gig to, to do a residency in the casino in Nice, in the, in the south of France. And I said, well, I, I, I said, they said, you know, are you interested in coming to do that? And I said, well, where would I live? And they said, well, get, they get you an apartment and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we'll hook you up. I've met some Americans that were, that were dealing, that were computer, computer guys. And I've, I've been talking to them. Uh, just they, they were just there working in my home, mm-hmm. and that kind of that kind of interested me. You know, oh, uh, that computer stuff sounds. Yeah, maybe I should go back to England, go back to school, and uh, and maybe I could get a job working in computers or something. That would mm-hmm. be a thing to do. But but you know they 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 offered me this thing in France, and I thought and I said to them, I said, well, could I get into the music school? Could I get into the conservatory in Nice? And uh, and, and they said, well, we could we could arrange for that. Yeah, sure. So the decision was made for me, really, and uh, and uh, and I decided, well, yeah, if, if I can go and maybe learn what it would take to be pro, mm-hmm. then uh, then um, you know I'll do that. So I went to France, and and they got me into the school. Actually, they got me in the school as a teacher because I was too old to get in as a student. <laughs> <laughs> so they just pulled the strings for you. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and uh, and that's um, you know that I started teaching and playing at night in the in the in the. Uh, in the casino and, uh, you know, and, and uh, go to San Jose chasing women. Yeah, it sounds like a good life, I'll tell you. And, and so what sort of, what sort of era are we, are we putting this? What sort of years are we talking about there? When this, you're in- this would be, uh, 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 well, I went, I went there in, in 61 and I left there in, in uh, uh, sorry, uh, so I went there in 71 and I left there in 73. So 73. And I, and I, and I, left, I, I left around, around 67. So seventy three, that's just before your stint with the average white band. Because I mean, the, I mean, who you've played with, we will do the who's who in a little bit. But I mean, there's not many. But of course, you're ever so well known for having been with the average white band for what eight years or so. So it's around about seventy four you joined them. Yeah, it was the end of seventy. The end of seventy four. Uh, uh, Robbie uh, passed away mm-hmm. uh, out here, and I was that was Robbie McIntosh, right? I, I would, yes, I was friends with him. I was friends with him in Italy, mm-hmm. and I'd actually followed him in, into. I followed him in into uh, this band, the Piranhas, and then I followed him into Brian Auger. And, and, and was that the Oblivion and, Express kind of? Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 at that point, I was back in back in going backwards and forwards from America to London to America, doing tours with Brian, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, and and I'd started. To become a studio musician at that point, and um, uh, because uh, of the schooling that I had, it allowed me to you know, read some music and go and do record dates and stuff like that. First record date I ever did, uh, I was playing with, with a bunch of studio musicians called Gonzalez, and we used to play at Ronnie Scott's and, and uh, you know, and other clubs around around town. And we were playing in Ronnie Scott's one night, and a producer named Mike Vernon uh, uh, asked me. Uh, uh, I asked the band, hired the band to go and play an album with Freddie King. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, my first real gig as a studio, a studio musician. My first album, and so, album. And how did the gig with the Average White Band come about? Then I know, I think I'm right in saying that Robbie was with Oblivion Express, went to play with Average White Band, and then he passed yes. away. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. So then what, that, the word came down the grapevine, we've lost our drummer, would you be interested? Is that kind of what happened? Well, there was another, there was another drummer. Uh, he, did, he, did, he did an album uh, that had, the album that had Happiness is just around the bend. And he, for some reason or other, he wasn't going to America. And so Brian called me in, I was in, in France and I was, you know, I, I was kind of ready to leave there by then. I had three years of studying and, uh, and teaching and playing. I was ready to, to go somewhere else. And he called me up and said, do you want to come to America? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. He said, you've got three days, can you get, get to England in three days? And, and then I went there and just went to, I, I sold everything, got myself a replacement and my, my gig in the, in the casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's a uh, 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 and uh, and just went to America, <clears throat> and then went back to to England. And I was hanging out with Jim Mullen, and uh, uh, met Jim Mullen there, and uh, and I, and I knew Robbie was there, and we I was friends with Robbie and Hamish. I was going to so, say, yeah. did you know Hamish at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, and, uh, and we we used to hang out, and, and I used to go and see them play. No, and uh, when I played with Gonzalez. We we did. I think it was, uh, actually it would have been uh, the anniversary. I don't know how many years ago, but it was Bank Holiday Monday, Easter Bank Holiday, and and we played at the Roundhouse, and I played with Gonzalez, and we opened for the Average White Band. Right. So and, then uh, that was the meeting, and then when the opening came along, you were kind of the natural progression. Well, yeah. Well, what happened was, was that I was out here in Los Angeles, and the same guy, Mike Vernon, liked the way I worked with on on Freddie King's album, and he hired me to come out to Los Angeles to play. He was doing an album with Bloodstone, actually doing a movie. Yep, yep. With Bloodstone, and I came out here to do to work with Bloodstone. Was that the riddle of the Sphinx set? Was that that one? Uh, yeah, I think it, I think that was it. And 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 yeah, riddle of the Sphinx, and 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 there was a. a a train ride to Hollywood was a movie that they did, and and, and I had to work on that. Uh, and uh, and and I was out here working with those guys, mm-hmm. and I had a, you know I was having a great time uh, working with them. And Average White Band came out, and they were playing at the Troubadour. So I I I met met up with Robbie, and 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 uh, and you know we were, we were in contact. And he called me up and he said, you know, what are you doing on Sunday? And I said, oh, I got to work on this. I have to be on set with the band and uh, and um he said he said well well i said i i gotta i gotta work he said we said last night at the troubadour he said come down it's going to be a big party and i said okay well uh if i can i will and as it worked out i couldn't and uh, and that was the night that robbie died and right. um, and so uh the next day um uh, terry merchant my friend terry merchant who was my uh, uh, roadie one point and uh, uh terry called me up and he said hey man you know, robbie's dead and i said what they're drunk you know because you know mm-hmm. <laughs> robbie robbie was a hell of a drinker we used to drink drink a lot together he was one of my favorite drinkers drinking <laughs> with Robbie. and uh and he said no man robbie's dead you know, they died of a, he died of an overdose which is kind of unusual because you know robbie really wasn't so much of a drugger he was more of a drinker drinker yeah i guess well, if you drink enough and somebody offers you some drugs you do it yeah but yeah. what they didn't know was Robbie, uh, I'd known Robbie for years, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, and he was he was a, he he could he could drink a whole bottle of vodka, 
and then just switch to scotch and drink wine in between that. And he would never get sick. I would be hanging over the toilet, throwing my guts up and yeah, trying yeah. to throw my boots up. <laughs> and and Robbie, Robbie, Robbie would pass out. And and uh, and uh, and he, uh, I guess he would process it in his body and he'd wake up with a bit of a hangover, with a hell of a hangover sometimes. That would be about it. But uh, but um, and that's he, he ingested some. Uh, um, he thought he was uh, he thought he was doing some cocaine, but it was heroin. It was cut with strychnine, and uh, and he'd ingested that, and he didn't throw up. Everybody else that took it got sick. Mm. Uh, but, oh, because he passed out with drinking. Yeah, yeah. So when you're on a, a gig like a long stint like that with the average white band, eight, nine years, whatever, is it totally exclusive or do you get time to do other work in between? I don't know if that's a na naive question because obviously it was the height of the band's fame, wasn't it? You were touring worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we, we travelled and we toured a lot. But, I mean, my first experience, the first thing that I had to do, I was living here in Los Angeles and it was, and it was like, well, we're going to go, uh, you want to come to New York? Uh, I was I was playing with them. We were spending a lot of time out here in Los Angeles playing, but then they said, "Well, we're going to go to New York," and uh, and, um, and, uh, and 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 record uh, "Cut the Cake." So I went went with them. I went with them to New York, and I just loved New York, especially now I had some money in my pocket. It was it was a fantastic place, you know, all the clubs and the. The scene in New York, it was, I just loved it. And all the players that were there, all the great players that were there. And all these like clubs like Nickel's and everything, you go and see stuff and Mike and Randy Brecker and Will Lee and all these guys. I, mean, I, I was fans of theirs from a band that they had called Dreams. And I was, since I was, that was when I was living in the south of France, I'd heard of them. And I got, got to meet them and they'd come and play on average white band records and stuff, you know, Brecker uh, Brothers. And, and, and then, uh, 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 because I, I uh, what I used to do was, uh, you know, if I if there was a, a, a pattern uh, to this group that seemed to work for a groove or something, and, and there was like discussion about chords and stuff going, I'd jot down what that pattern was so that I could remember what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, where 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 the uh, the basis of this song was going was going to sit in this pattern, and I'd write it down. And the reef noticed that I wrote out music, you know. And so when we finished cutting cut the cake. Or he said, uh, listen, you know, um, I noticed that you read. And uh, he said, uh, I, I got some sessions coming up. Um, would you like to do some sessions for me? And I said, I'd love to. Yeah, that, that'd, that'd be cool, you know, because he was going to use all these guys, that you know, these, these guys, that, 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 these, these New York studio musicians that, that I'd listened to on records and albums. Because I mean, back years. then you could make a good living from being a session guy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you were in, uh, the right, uh, in the right mix, you, you could be booked day after day, I guess, making some great well, records. Arif was like one of the hottest producers around at the time. He had the Bee Gees, he had Average White Band, you know, Bette Midler, uh, and Shaka Khan. Mm -hmm. and that, that, oh, Midler, that was a link uh, to Shaka, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bette Midler was the first, the first uh, session that I did with him, and then, and, then, uh, and then he went on straight into doing the Shaka Khan, and so I started to do all those sessions, and I got to play with like, Anthony Jackson and Roy Lee, bass players, and Marcus Miller, um, and, and uh, Brecker Brothers, uh, uh, Richard T, uh, Cornell Dupree, uh, um, Eric Gale, um, uh, 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 David Spinoza, uh, all, all these incredible players. I mean, yeah. that's just a few of them. I, mean, the, 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 I always credit, I always call it the, the school of local 802. 
in in New York, and uh, you know, and 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 they encouraged me to to sign on with Radio Registry, which was the answer musicians' answering service back then. And I signed on when I became a member of the of the of the union. And so I remember I went down and joined. And I said, "Hey, I joined the union," and they said, "Yeah, now you can be out of the work like the rest of us." <laughs> <laughs> But it was it turned into being the boom years, and because because I was working, I'd worked with a reef, and and I and I guess average white man, um, uh, a lot of the other producers in town started to oh yeah he's doing sessions, so they sure. they called registry and registry will book me, and I started to do sessions. Mm-hmm. So I go out on the road with average white man and say to call registry, say I'm out of town until this date, and I'd leave. And, Go out there, and I come back, and the phone would ring. He's back in town, and I go and do this, go and do that. And cause you mentioned Shaka, you were on her debut album, weren't you? Back in '78. Yes. Yeah, and I presume you ended up touring with her as well, right? I, I did. I did the odd little tour with her. Never toured really ex- extensively with her. Just I did a couple of tours with her. Yeah, yeah. And do you like that uh, sort of studio versus touring or live? Have you got a preference? I'm guessing live's always the way, I, right? Well, I love it all. Uh, it, there's there's nothing like creating in the studio and, and uh, you know there's something about for a musician to sit in there and 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 come up with ideas and mm. and, and sounds and tuning of it that's why i got all these snare drums here i mean they all do something different you know? yeah i'll just i'll just let people know we're, we're doing this interview via zoom and steve is sitting in the most amazing looking drum studio at his home <laughs> and it is a picture it is stunning <laughs> it's an aladdin's yeah, cave uh, of drums behind you it really is yeah, and it's interesting I mean, I mean, although I'm no musician, it's interesting what you said uh, and going back to reference of reading. Obviously, I'm guessing by being a reading musician, you're very employable then because they know you can turn up and do the job one, two takes out the door because right. it times it's money. Speed. It's speed. Yeah. 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 Uh, how quick How quick can you get it and mm. play it? Mm. You know, I mean, when you, uh, I mean, I played with guys out here, the guys out here in Los Angeles, uh, incredible musician, local 47. <laughs> uh, the guys out here, local 47, I know a lot of the guys out here and, 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 and the horn sections and, you know, drummers and, and bass players, guitarists, they're, they're all, they know their stuff, you know, mm, and, and mm. it's like when, when you can walk in there and you can, you give them a chart and they don't just play the chart. They play it like they've been playing it for like years. They mm. they they put it, they they listen to each other. They they put inflections on things, you know. Mm. And 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 I got taught by 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 all these guys really because I started like jogging, jogging backwards and forwards, Los Angeles, New York, Los Angeles, New York. Uh, I, I started doing sessions all over the damn place. And, and did I mean because you came to drumming in a kind of a roundabout way. I haven't mentioned or talked about any big influences on you as you were beginning to really learn your skill. Who were the, the guys you were looking to and thinking, oh, I like the way he interprets out or plays out or his riffs? Who who was it? I never really listened to drummers. I used to listen to bands. Right. Right. And they always say a band is as good as a drummer, and that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I love the Beatles. I love the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, I, I love I love Cream, but I wasn't such a huge fan of Ginger Baker. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I love Cream. I love the music. Yeah, you know, you know, it, it, I wasn't such a fan of his style of playing. But what he did in that band was it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Holding the way that he played the, the songs "Sunshine of Your Love" and all that stuff was just was just incredible. You know, so uh, 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 and then Bernard Purdy uh, mm-hmm. sort of came along. You know, so but I I, I heard 
the first time I heard Purdy, I heard this song called What Is Soul? Right? And it, a Benny King song. And so that, I, I, I never really listened particularly to drummers. Right. But I listened to the songs and, and the way that, 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 that those drummers played those oh, songs. Oh, contextually within that song, what they were bringing within, to it. Within yeah. the song. Yeah. What they brought to it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Okay, so, 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 uh, 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 as, as far as uh, like listening to, listening to particularly to, I mean, Purdy would have probably, would have probably been the, the, the one that was, uh, most impressive to me because I've never heard anybody play syncopation like he played it. Mm-hmm. Never heard that before. It just blew me away completely. It was like, what is that? That was a, that was a whole different approach to, to, to what I've been listening to, to, to the blues, the guys that played the blues, blues mm-hmm. drummers and, uh, and, 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 and pop drummers and, uh, and rock drummers. Uh, and of course, kind of long-term gigs have been part of your stamp, really. Long spell with the Average White Band and then, of course, a very long spell with Tom Petty until he passed yeah. away, in fact, right? So you, once you're with a band that you like, obviously you like that feeling of being the camaraderie with the guys in a band. You enjoy that experience, I take it. Uh, average White Band, uh, uh, Eric Clapton's band, in particular, and uh, Duran Duran, even, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and 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 Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, long term, long term relationships with those bands. That every time I walked out on stage with that band, I felt I was walking out on stage with the best band on the planet. Mm. I'm guessing and, also and when when you go touring for long, you must get very close as a unit, as a band. It must form a hell of a, a bond. I would have thought. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a, there's there's there, there was something. There's something about, uh, I mean, especially the heartbreakers was, uh, I can say there was a, there was a, 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 we didn't really have anything much outside of the, you know, the the heartbreakers don't really socialize that much. We we pop in each other and see each other every once in a while and say hi and everything. And we're family, Mm -hmm. you know, like family. We don't have to see each other all the time to be family. But when we used to, Get in the studio. I remember when I first, when we first worked on on Wildflowers. You know, I I I like these guys. I like the way they worked. And uh, and at that point, uh, I I wasn't even thinking about uh, being in, in the Heartbreakers. You know, I was I was just hired to to play on on the, on a Tom Petty solo album uh, that he was doing. Even though I mean, it started it started off as just me and Mike and Tom, and and then it took. It, it it took a while uh, for the for, in the end everybody you know Benmont showed up and then and Howie showed up and and, and then it was the Heartbreakers uh, and 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 then that worked out well but uh, I, I remember uh, I I've been playing uh, on and off with with Brian Ferry at one point and uh, and and uh, and I I didn't really want to uh, continue playing, playing going out on the road uh, uh, with that band. Uh, no, for no personal reason, but just just the way that things were musically, I didn't have that much fun playing playing with them. Mm-hmm. They're all great musicians in the band and everything, and and, and Brian's great and everything. But it was it was it, there was a um, just the way that the whole thing was run. It was kind of like Brian was the artist, and 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 then there was the, the band, and there was communication through people who weren't musicians, and and it was like. It just there was a disconnect between it. What didn't feel like a, we were all together. Eric Clapton's band we were all in it together, mm-hmm. all in the same dressing room, and, mm-hmm. and, and 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 we were all there for that one reason: music. And, and 
So, and so when I when when I when I decided to stop that, my girlfriend said to me, you know, I said she said I, I said I just turned down. She said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I don't know." I, I said, "I don't know." I'll come back and I just did, go back and start doing dates again. She said, "Well." Uh, then the next day she called me up. Uh, oh, she said, "What would you like to do?" And I said, "I'd like to play with the Heartbreakers." I said, "That that was a fa- I had a fantastic time doing that album with them. I'd, I'd really like to play with them." And then the next day, Tom called. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight ahead with London's leading music venue, The 606 Club.
are still to come on the show this week. We are featuring artists that are streaming with us at the club this coming weekend, namely Nigel Price, along with Vasilis Nopolis, and also something from Tina May, who's at the club on Sunday, along with Nikki Isles. The track we just listened to was Footloose, which was a Morrissey Mullen album, Jim Mullen and Dick Morrissey. And obviously we had Jim on the show last summer. And on the track we just listened to, there was Alan Gorey on the bass and on backing vocals, most namely City Houston and Luther Vandross. And if you want to go back and re-listen to that show, you can hear Jim talking about how they came across a certain Mr Vandross to do BVs on that particular track. So I think it's about time we get back to hearing some more from Steve, isn't it? And in this part of the interview, we're going to hear about the meeting with Steve and Michael Jackson. You're listening to me, David Lewis, and this is Straight Ahead. Fate has its way, doesn't it? Fate sometimes just plays the right hand. Yeah. And, I mean, it's such an illustrious career. I mean, first of all, for some of the listeners that, you know, might only know you with the average white band, just a few random names I've plucked out. Morrissey Mullen, Roberta Flack, Aretha Franklin, Jeffrey Osborne, George Benson, Rick James, Tina Marie, Shaka, Bee Gees, Al Jarreau. I mean, it's a who's who, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And, I've, been, and I've been blessed. I think they obviously liked what you were doing. Let's, let's you know, modesty to one side. You obviously, you know, they loved your work. Arif saw something in you. And, you know, once your foot was in the door there, obviously... They loved what you brought to their albums and to their tours and to their stage. And, I mean, there's clearly going to be parts of your career that I'll, I'll miss out on in such an illustrious career. But you, interestingly, until I started reading about you today, I didn't realise that you were also part of the Saturday Night Live house band. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's, again, another big sort of feather in the cap, isn't it? People die for yeah. that gig. Yeah. And, and that and, came about? I'm alumni. <laughs> they call me Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live alumni. And, uh, and I Who got is- invited to the... 40th anniversary, you had to get a tuxedo and go there. Who was the host of the show at that point? Uh, when I was, when I, uh, the, fir- the first, the first host of the first show that I did was Madonna. Right. And uh, uh, Lorne, and it was Lorne had been away from, stepped away from Saturday Night Live for a few years and then he came back and, uh, and I got a call. I just got a call. Um, you know, you want to come and do, play in the Saturday Night Live band? You know, yeah. Do you have to, when you get these calls, do you ever just pinch yourself? Is this a joke? Is this really happening? <laughs> you know, it, 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 I, I got to tell you, it's it's like sometimes when I talk to people, when, when I'm talking to people about about when people talk about music and they say and they they start but they mention a song and say, oh, I, I played on that. You know, that was you. It's like yeah, and 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 then they talk a little bit more. And they come up with some other song. I played on that too. That was I, you. I mean, even you must forget your discography, right? Because you must have played on so many albums and individual tracks through the years that I'm sure yeah, I, sometimes... I always check eBay because uh, <laughs> titles and descriptions. Because sometimes stuff comes up there and I, I don't remember playing that. <laughs> My name's on it. <laughs> and again, it's another really interesting video I came across. This The colour of, of your life has been fantastic. You're doing this gig with, I think it was with Tom Petty, and Prince appears. Yeah. And Prince was, uh, just suddenly jams with you. That was uh, George Harrison's uh, George Harrison's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, that was. Uh, I mean, that, that must be a pretty special I moment. Think, I think that thing has had like something like forty million views. Or it's not surprising, is it? I mean, you know, an it, incredible it, guitar solo. Yeah, that's what I was watching. I mean, it's interesting. You know, it was slightly deviating. Obviously, Jackson and Prince very much of the same era. And when I was growing up. It was always that you're either a Jackson fan or a Prince fan, but it was always being said to me that Prince is the musician's one because he was, you know, perfect across everything he did. He could play all of the instruments, he could produce, sing, write, you know, did top to bottom. It would be his creation. Michael Jackson was no slouch either. 
Because you played with him, of course. You, you, you played with him, of course, didn't you? Yeah. What was your crossings uh, uh, with Jackson then? Well, uh, I got hired. Uh, uh, Bill Bottrell uh, called me up uh, and said, you know, I'm doing cutting this track with, with with Michael. Would you come out to Los Angeles to do it? And I said, yeah, sure. So I get out here and then, you know, get drums on and everything all sent out. And, and, uh, um, and uh, you know, uh, down there at Westlake Studios. And Michael had the whole of the complex. He had every every there's a couple of main studios and then there's rooms, MIDI rooms and other things. And he was going from room to room to room to room. He's a workaholic, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was he was like going in with the writers and working with the writers, and then he'd go in and do a supervise some overdubs or something that were going on in another in another room. And, and then he had me and Bill Bottrell in this room doing drums for for, for, for Earth song. And, right. Uh, well, it's a couple of songs, but. One mm. of them, on the first song that came up, and uh, and and so I was sitting there getting drum sounds up with Bill and 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 this great engineer he had this really great got this great sound, and I was just sitting there, it's like done every individual drum, and he's like, okay, just play some time. So I just sat down, and started to play blues, started playing, and Michael sort of materialized next to the drum kit, and he was standing there and he was like looking, and he said, hi. <laughs> I said, hi Michael, how are you? Nice to meet you. He said, Do you dance? And I said, <laughs> Little are, you asking? <laughs> are you asking? Max Bygraves <laughs> like what I did, yeah. <laughs> and he said, No, it just feels so good when you play. Ah, you? so he could pick up. <laughs> yeah. He, ah, so like because of him being a dancer, he picked up there was something in the way that you were interpreting. The... Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. But, but, but it's just, I mean, I guess just the way I was sitting there playing a groovy, he just wanted to dance. So we go in and we listen to, to, he puts up this song, Earth Song, and we're sitting there listening to, to Earth Song and listening there to the song and everything, and a little bit of discussion about the arrangement. And, and, he, and, uh, and I said, okay, yeah, all right, fine. He said, he said yeah, and I want it cut on electronic drums, on, the, on, on, on syndromes. And, and, I, and I immediately said, this is called Earth Song, right? <laughs> Why would you want it done? Well, you want it done on electric? He said, oh, I just want it done on, on, on electronic drums. I said, okay, I tell you what, I'll do it on the electronic drums. But after I've done it on electronic drums, I'm going to do it. With, You'll cut it on with those, yeah. with those right there. Deal? And he said, okay, deal. Yeah, okay, fine, no problem. And off he went. All right. And so, so we sat down and we, we started, you know, we started playing, put the song together and we did it and put, played, found the part and, you know, the rhythm pattern and all this other stuff and where I was going to start and all this stuff and got it all done, got it done. And then with, with those, the old drums, you'd have things what they call double triggering where you'd hit it once and it would go, but that's right. So you had to take out the double triggering. And so that meant sort of like dropping stuff in. It wasn't like mid, it wasn't like pro tools. We can just move stuff around. This was like, you'd have to go drop it in and fix, fix all the double triggering stuff, make sure that everything was perfect and made the phone call. Ready for Michael. And we sat there waiting. About 20 minutes later, Michael bounces into the studio. So, okay, great. Let me have a listen. So he comes in and he sits down and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and the song plays. And he sits there and, and, and he listens to the whole thing. And he said, Yeah, yeah, great, terrific. I said, Okay. I said, I'm going to go do the, the other parts on the other drums. And he said, Oh, he's, Steve, it's not necessary. And I said, Wait a minute. <laughs> Michael Jackson is welching on a deal. He had a deal. 
And he said, oh, okay, okay. I said, it won't take long, Mark. I'll just, I'll just do it. And he said, okay. Off he goes again. Yeah. You know, I, I knew what it was. It was basically a pass, really. That was it. You know, we played it and it was done. You know? And it sounded magnificent. It just sounded magnificent. Make the call. And wait for Michael to show up again. Another 20 minutes passes. Michael comes in. Okay, let me have a listen to it. When those drums came in, Michael jumped up and started dancing around the studios. And I said, There's your earth song. <laughs> There's your earth song. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. I mean, honestly, it's just like the life that you've lived and the, the musicians you've played with. It's, and, you know, it, I mean, George Harrison, you mentioned briefly, you know, again, just yeah. another name toured with George Harrison in 91. Is la- was that yeah. his last tour? Yes, in uh, Japan. To right. Japan. Yeah. To Japan with George. What a great guy he was, too. He's just an incredible guy. Really great guy. And a, a great, great. You, you know, it's funny because, you know, people, people say to me, uh, you know, you, you, you talk back to Michael Jackson. And I said, well, that's what he hired me for. You know, he hired me. You know, I knew that there's, that there's going to be. I mean, there's always a chance that he would say, "No, no, I like the I like the electric drums and all." But I just knew that those. You felt it, yeah. And 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 so so I, I I cajoled him into into into. I can't say you know I bullied him into doing it, but I mean I I did it in a way that he let me do it. it wasn't mm. going to take long. And uh, and 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 I got I I got that result. And and George, when we were <laughs> rehearsing with George, uh, it, it, he uh, uh, we we got round to playing um, uh, uh, something in the way she moves, yeah. And and um, uh, we 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 play. We he's like, okay, well let's 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 go go to go to go to something, and counted it off, and we started to play it, and we played the song. It gets to the guitar solo. And George plays a guitar solo, right? And 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 I'm sitting there and I'm like, <laughs> okay. And we finish and he turns around and he says, Yeah, that was really good. And I said, Yeah, I said it'd been really good if you'd played the solo. He said, I played a solo. I said, Yeah, but you didn't play the solo. And he said, What are you talking about? And I said, oh. da, 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 da. And the whole band started to sing it with me. Right? And we had to teach it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Because it, it's just that it's like without that solo, yeah, it seems like there's a chunk it's not of the, the song. song. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of written in stone that solo. So it's such a part of the song. Such a, a great solo. I mean, is there any parts of the world that you haven't been to with music? It sounds like you pretty much tour the world, right? Pretty much, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I haven't been. I haven't been to Vietnam. I always. I want to go to Vietnam. I've been to India. I didn't play there, but I went there on, on vacation. Mm-hmm. And I've been to China, been to Japan, New Zealand, Australia, uh, Iceland, all over Europe. All, all gig- this, is all, this is working. Yeah. yeah Russia. Yeah. yeah. To Russia a couple of times and uh, Africa. Not bad for Brighton, lad, that started off engraving, right? No, no. You took, I, a, you took I, a right I, turn somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been to, I went to Israel. Uh, there's, there's some places that I haven't been that I'd like to. I haven't been to North Africa. 
I'd always always wanted to go and have a look at North Africa. Always wanted to go to Egypt. When did you make um, LA your home? Uh, I came out here in uh, in uh, nineteen. Well, I actually moved out of New York. Um, um, I, I I stopped I stopped drinking uh, in in uh, in nineteen ninety ninety three. Mm-hmm. And 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 I was I was living in New York and and. You know, I, I used to do a lot of nightlife, go out to clubs, and 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 it became kind of boring to me. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. that when it didn't go out. I mean, I still had my friends and stuff. I go out, but it was like it, it wasn't it wasn't any fun anymore. You know, I mean, I, I I'd like to go to clubs to play if I had to go play, but to go and just to go and hang out and and watch everybody get drunk just just wasn't mm-hmm. any fun anymore. Mm-hmm. So I I, I stopped. Um, I stopped doing that, and then I tried retail therapy, which was like going out shopping every day. And so I had a big, big wardrobe. <laughs> so I did that a lot, and then and then I got fed up with doing that, and and I decided uh, man can uh, have too many seats, then right? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> then I decided to move uh, with my girlfriend. We decided to move to um, uh, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and I love New Mexico, but there was nothing to do there as far as music. No, no so so. So what I did was it was it was easier for me to get to Los Angeles, and, and plus I was working more with the Heartbreakers, more and more with the Heartbreakers at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I decided to 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 get get a place, and uh, uh, Nathan Easter got married and bought bought a house in the house that he lived in. His brother was living in, so I, I rented I rented uh, half the house. I shared the house with with Nathan's brother Marcel, mm-hmm. and um, and. Um, and uh, and I and I and I lived between Los Angeles and and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, not Santa, uh, just outside of Santa Fe, a little a little village called Pecos in New Mexico, and uh, and that went on, and then that relationship ended, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and so I came I came to live in Los Angeles. And you love and living there, I take it your place. Yeah, I yeah you know I, I just uh, stayed here and mm-hmm. uh, and. and uh, like I say, twenty-five years with the with the Heartbreakers, and you know, bought a house here, and and uh, and and, uh, and grateful, grateful to say that you know, at the end of this month, it will be uh, twenty-eight years sober. Wow, so, wow. Yeah. And was there was there? I mean, without you know, I don't know if it's an impersonal question or not, but was there a particular reason? Was it just drinking bored you by that point, or you thought it was detrimental to your health? Or well, no. I mean, my personal my personal life had had, had, had gone to gone to. Uh, I, I mean, you'll have to bleep this yeah, out. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. it's, not, it's not. There's not another not word, word for it. Sometimes it's just not. No. <laughs> my my personal life had gone to. I've been right. married, married and divorced four times. I had two children with one of the wives. I, I had a kid that showed up that was nine years old that was in between those two children that I had with the wife. Right, right. And then I had another kid on top of that that was there. And and, and the way that I was looking at that, I never got pregnant. They got pregnant. You know. The, mm. the, the, it, that they got pregnant. It wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with me. I was just having fun. But that's not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I and I, I, I used to drink to forget. This is the. the mm-hmm. uh, I drank. I drank to forget my problems. Mm-hmm. And finally, my my problems outweighed my capacity to drink and uh, and, and, and use drugs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 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 even the drugs didn't help my drinking. I couldn't have to. Didn't have to look at. Uh, didn't have to look at this, this, these enormous problems that I had, mm. and, and 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 finally I said, well, you know what, I, 
I'm not, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I, you know, no, I'm not having any fun with it. I'm going to stop. And, and, just on, uh, on the money, I, just I, stopped. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. And, 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 and I was, I used to think, well, you know, I could stop drinking anytime I felt like it. And right now I got around to feeling like it. So that was it. I was going to stop. I'm going to stop drinking. And just uh, maybe I can just take care of all these problems that I have mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and do this with a, you know, with a clear head. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started to go mad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what that came, what that came down to actually, I was detoxing, uh, you know, I spent years just like, you know, clubs and yeah clubs. living the life yeah, yeah. No, i mean and, you know not not to the point that i, I never like i never like playing being high playing mm. i never enjoyed that so but after i'd finished and it was party was on you know mm-hmm. and, that, and that's basically basically what it was and and um and and so uh you know that's 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 when uh when i, when I found out that it, this was a little bit more involved than what i thought it was and so i went and got some help Mm-hmm. I've got to tell you, you're looking incredibly well. You're an advert for sobriety. I can tell you that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to enjoy a glass of wine after the interview. Now I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I I do like to say this when when I mention this stuff is that is that you know the problems, the enorm the enormity of the problems that I had. I thought my life was over, mm. uh, and and uh, and it, and it came it, it came I came came to find out that that my life was actually just starting. Uh, the the four children the four children that I had uh, have given me nine grandchildren, and yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, uh, when I when I came when I when I stopped drinking I was trying to figure out a way that I could get just get rid of everybody, mm. and 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 in the twenty twenty I can only say right now twenty seven years that I've stayed sober, um, that that they become the most important thing in my life. And, uh, Isn't it amazing how we all come back to those core values at the end? Absolutely. You know, and again, it's fascinating with the life that, you, you know, some, I've always said, no, you never know what's going on behind somebody's front door. And it's so easy to look at your lifestyle and think the man's got it all. And yet still everyone has demons, right? Everyone has something. That Everybody. Got to, yeah. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, the only thing I can do really is uh, I've been, I've been able, I've been able to help people that have been a lot of people that have been in the same situation as I have. Mm-hmm. I, I sit on the board of Music Cares. And uh, and uh, and, uh, and and they do they do amazing work uh, for musicians uh, uh, and crew roadies the people in the music business they do amazing work and and uh, I'm I'm fortunate enough that they that they uh, that they ask me to so you can give back and I'm aware of how much of your well your morning I've taken I didn't mean to be talking to you this I'm sorry it's just it's so much to cover but. In latter years, of course, you're now sitting basically in, in the kind of seat I'm sitting in. You're now the radio host, Steve Ferroni. How are you finding That's that? Right. Then the new guy. They call me the new guy. <laughs> I think in radio they call you the new guy for about 30 years. So <laughs> That's right. Tom Petty's introduced me in the last tour that we did. He said, yeah, we call him the new guy. He's only been around us for about 24 years. <laughs> so your, your show is yeah, called the new guy show, isn't it? It's on um, Sirius. Um, what, what's, the, what's the format of the show? Where can people listen to it? I mean, I'm terrible. I shouldn't be telling people to go and listen to your show. But hey, you know, take, yeah, well, take centre stage, do it. Well, unfortunately, it's, I, I think you can only get Sirius XM in the in the in the United States, and, right? And, uh, and uh, uh, but you know, I, I have my family and stuff. I, I, I get a copy of the show after, and I usually send it off to them, and they they, they get to they get to listen to it. And uh, 
but uh, um, it's it's basically it's Tom Petty Radio, so it's mainly main, I can't say mainly it's it's Tom Petty Tom Petty's music, and, mm-hmm. and 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 Tom also had an extensive record collection, and and so he used to have, he had a, he had a, he had a show called Buried Treasure, where he would play uh, he would play like all the songs that he used to listen to and. Um, you know, blue songs and other bands and stuff like that, and 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 so they asked when Tom asked me, he said, "Man, you should do it. You should do a show." And I, oh, I don't know. And I'd seen him do it and looked like fun, but it, it, you know, your job is—I can say your job because it, I, I'm not really a professional disc jockey. Um, um, the, the stuff that, that you guys do, thinking off the top of your head, is is uh, it, it's just amazing. So it's, it was difficult. For me to to start doing it, but I'm I'm on my eighty uh, fifth uh, show at the it, moment. It's fun, isn't it? It's so much it's fun so radio. Much fun. It is, and 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 my my show is a little bit different to 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 the um, to the to the other shows that are on there because uh, I play I play a lot of old songs. I play some Motown songs. I play some old classic rock songs, and, and I also I have a lot of a lot of young friends in this in this business young musicians that are really really good uh, and um uh, such as like larkin pole uh, 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 they're a big big uh, uh, i like to play their music on my show and, and i get to play uh, uh, a lot of new guys uh, new, new people in the, in the business uh, uh, there's a uh, uh, one kid who's like he's like 14 well, actually he's, he's 11 when, he, when i started playing his music and this kid's really, really, uh, really, really a great, 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 great um, artist. He's gonna be a great artist. You know, he writes, he writes these songs. He like Michael Jackson when you heard Michael Jackson when he was a little kid sing these love songs. You know, mm. it was almost uh, like he's been here before, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. this kid, this kid was eleven years old and came up with a song called "Inspire Me." <laughs> eleven, eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't come up with anything when I was twelve years old. Where the chicks? <laughs> and we've gone full circle. <laughs> oh, exactly. I tell you what, it's it's literally has been a dream come true talking to you. I mean, I just knew it was going to be easy chatting with you, but not quite this easy. It's you know couldn't go wrong really. You've, you've lived the life, you've worn the shirt. So uh, I've been doing it myself. I can only say, Steve, thank you so much. It's been fantastic sitting talking to you tonight. It feels like we're just, I'll keep forgetting this is going to go out on radio. It's just like sitting, having a lovely chat with you. But uh, maybe that's the knack. Maybe we've, we've cornered something. But Steve, well, Steve Rennie, I can't if you you, thank you enough. If you ever think of anything else that you need to ask, I'll be happy to have you back in, in, in drum roll studios here. Oh, and uh, let's just say, uh, we look at this, I must just mention before I let you go, the drum behind you, you've got the Gretsch set up behind you, a load of toms and snares on shelves. It just. I got, looks... I got the, the little jazz kit is over there. Yeah, and 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 the, and the, the nineteen fifty Gretsch forecasters over there, and then over there I got two. Those are two new snare drums that I just bought. Um, um, that those that white one there and that black one uh, from the, from the Gretsch auction, and then there's Radio Kings, Ludwig, Black Beauties, uh, the, all, uh, a whole assortment. That one, that one there with the sunburst in it. That one yep. there. Yep. That that was uh, that was uh, the drum that, that I used on Twenty Four Nights with Eric Clapton. So, man, they've all got their characters. They've all got their stories. So each and every one of them. As you have to, Steve. I can't begin to thank you enough. Hopefully, I know I did bump into you down at the Six uh, a couple of years back, and hopefully we're allowed to begin travelling again. And I should just say, the man that brought us together, Phil Ayers. I can't begin to thank you enough. So, Phil, ah! <laughs> your your UK manager, as he tells me. <laughs> yes, he's my, he's my UK. 
The, I'd say it, that because otherwise it's going to have to man, pay them. The, so. man, the, man, the taxi cab driver with the biggest heart in London. Isn't he a lovely man? Lovely man. He, 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 he sorted is. this out for us. So, Phil, thank you. I know you're listening. And Steve, again, a heartfelt thanks to you too. As I've got to say to him, seagulls. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Brighton football team. You've got it in there. <laughs> Steve, thanks so much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Straight thank you. Ahead with David Lewis.
was Steve Ferroni. What an interview. Still pinch myself, really. It was a fascinating, fascinating time sitting down with him. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And that was just a very brief look at some of the uh, highlights of Steve's amazing musical career. Steve, thank you so much. And if there's time for round two, who knows, maybe one day in the future we can do just that. So the 606 looks like it's going to be opening up on Thursday, the 20th of May. As long as nothing changes from restrictions from the government, we will be open. And on that week, Jim Mullen, from whom we heard earlier, is going to be starting things off for us on Thursday evening. Samara are with us on the Friday. Mornington Lockett on Saturday and Leanne Carroll on the Sunday of that opening week. All the details are over on the website and Saturday and Sunday will still be live streamed as well. So if you can't get down to the club in person, you can still enjoy those fine artists from the comfort of your own home. But uh, streaming with us this coming weekend is Tina May along with pianist Nikki Isles. And here we have a track from Tina's latest album. This is The Apartment. Still remember our New York apartment. I miss those hazy, crazy things we did just being in love. We found love in our small apartment. And then, as if by magic, we Found a special place in the sun. Funny how the time goes. Now there's no apartment. There's only high price office blocks and built as high as the sky. I can't forget. seem to die and still I wonder
from Tina's latest album. Tina, along with Nikki, are going to be live streaming with us at the club. And uh, if you want to know how to watch them stream, then go over to 606club.co.uk. Make sure you've got that account set up yourself. And after that, it's a very small and modest music charge to watch not only Nikki and Tina stream, but also this coming weekend, we're going to have Nigel and Vasilis Nopolis. And uh, they are going to be finishing out the show for us this week. But first of all, many thanks indeed to Steve Ferroni for being so gracious with his time. We must have been on that Zoom call for well over an hour, approaching probably an hour and a half. And uh, I think you've heard most of it. Very little of it has ended up on the cutting room floor. An amazing career and uh, a real privilege to have him on the show this week. So, Steve, many thanks indeed. Thank you also for listening to the show this week. I'll be back, of course, at the same time next week for another two hours of great jazz and conversation with another very special guest. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we finish out the show this week with a track from Nigel and Vasilis. It's a live recording. Don't look back. Thank you. 
Thank <laughs> you.